You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. going on guys welcome to another episode of peer pleasure with dewey halpas i am dewey your host with the most bringing more great content week after week this week we have king yosef right here from portland oregon he is blowing up everywhere uh dude is prolific dude is a badass uh touring with converge touring coming up with health just went to japan and australia uh just doing incredible incredible things it's like super heavy like industrial mosh, just mashup greatness. Um, and thank you so much to Curran at the chain for introducing me to Yosef. And my God, this music is fantastic. I'm stoked for you guys to check this episode out because we had a great conversation about all kinds of things. You, you know, with this show, it goes everywhere, but we talk a lot about um, a lot about music, of course, but we also talk about life and and growing up in small towns and and all the nuances of all these things. And I am just so stoked to bring this one to you. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of King Yosef. Um, it's incredible. He lives in Portland and we, I don't think we've ever met each other, run into each other at a show or anything. Cause I probably would have remembered, but I really, really don't. <laughs> I just, it's so strange to be in a city for this long and, and, uh, to be not have, not have the knowledge of what's going on with such a great artist. Anyways, uh, I'm rambling, but uh, I'm stoked for you guys to hear this one. Check out King Yosef. Uh, he's got some new music up on everywhere you listen to you know, music. Um, he's got two new tracks up there. Cut the Chords, my favorite. It is the, one of the heaviest songs. Uh, it's, it's just like punishing. And uh, we talk about that a little bit as well. And uh, the man, Steve Evitz, 
um, all kinds of stuff. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, let's get some business out of the way and we'll jump into the episode. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the uh, website. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me with guest ideas or questions or comments. We also have the Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle, as well as the premium service, which is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. And that you get the old videos of the episodes, you get the past cast, as well as the ad-free feed. So if you don't want to hear the ads, that's the way to do it. It's also a good way to support the show. So uh, also, if you want to support the show, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can give us a rating on Spotify. Uh, take five minutes and write a review. It really helps us out. It helps people that are looking at the show for the first time to see that it's legit and uh, that people enjoy it. Um, I don't know how else it helps the show, honestly. I know it helps with visibility and charting, but I don't know why. And uh, I don't have time to look into that either. But I appreciate seeing the reviews, uh, good or bad, but um, as long as it's honest, because that's what this show is. I mean, we just try to be honest and real, bring you real shit, real conversations, real topics that are sometimes difficult, sometimes not. Um, sometimes it's just straight hilarity the whole time. Sometimes it it's really uh, serious. But that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of podcasting and why we do what we do. So I appreciate you guys being patient with me. I literally just had a tooth pulled from my head uh, yesterday, so I may sound a little different on this uh, on this episode because I'm still healing up, but I needed to put this out, and uh, I missed you guys. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with King Yosef. Welcome to the show, man. I really appreciate you doing this. And, and, uh, yeah, of course. when Curran reached out to me and, and, uh, JP's a good friend of mine too. And, and, um, I was just like, dude, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let's oh, do yeah, this thank thing. You. Have, you, for having me. have you done podcasts before? Um, I've done a couple, but, uh, not really too many. Okay. I think, uh, like one of the main ones I did was this one from Australia for my friend Owen. Uh, it's called Picture Discontent, but it was like one of those ones where it was like structured. Uh-huh. So like I had to pick out songs and then we went over the songs I picked, why I picked them sort of thing. So Yeah. Okay. Um, 
the conversation will just like kicking it. Not very much though. Okay, cool. That's it's it's super easy, man. Like it's it's just yeah. what it is. We do it every day. Well, most people do it every day with people, but uh uh my thought process is always just like we're talking about music for an hour. I literally do that yeah every day of my life regardless (laughs) you know if it's helping something then like why not hell yeah man so jet lag did you just get back from japan then uh i got home on the first so i've been home for a week but that was the longest i've ever been overseas yeah for anything because i was gone i think three and a half weeks three weeks damn Uh, okay so not just in japan though australia australia and japan okay yeah so you were with greg yeah okay um man who he's got a fantastic a fantastic band going too um amazing players but how did that how did that tour come about how did that come about with with greg did he ask you to come with is it done through something else uh it was through my buddy lachlan he's a promoter down there for destroy all lines and does uh he's a singer in a band isn't he yeah, he's a singer in the band Run. Lachlan uh, Watt. Yeah, super cool guy. Yeah, I had him but, on another podcast that I do. Yeah, Lachlan's he's amazing. Uh, he brought me down for Dark Mofo like two years ago, I want to uh-huh. say. And uh, you know, he was like, "I can't get you on a tour right now, but I want you to play this fest. I think it'll make sense." And you know, basically leveraged to me like this is a good way to get your foot in the door down here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I trust you. And then I did that. And then he was like, hey, Greg's coming down. I think you should be support on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you tell me I show up. So let's do it. And Absolutely. then, I mean, I have tons of mutual friends. I mean, Trace, i out for one. It's like one of my best friends mm-hmm. in the world. So him and Greg obviously toured a lot. Brent, our Trace Matt is on Federal Prisoner. Mm-hmm. So there was already a lot of connections there. And then just like mutual friends and whatnot. So. It was pretty seamless. That's incredible, dude. So second time in Australia, first time in Japan? First time in Japan, and I loved it. It was the first time I've ever been anywhere where I was like, oh, I'm really not anywhere I know. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I loved it. That's incredible, dude. I I, There's this band called Green Milk from the Planet Orange uh, that played a basement show at our place here in Portland. And and, uh, it's the first Japanese band that I'd actually, it was before I saw like mono and bands like that. And they were all sitting down and I was like, they were playing the most intense music sitting down. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And come to find out that's more of a thing over there. And it's, I'm for it, man. (laughs) It's pretty rad. Uh, I felt like for like, even just like playing with like the Japanese artists we played with, mm -hmm. Uh, we played with like a lot of experimental stuff uh-huh. and the degrees to which they're willing to go to, like just the wavelength they're on for like actual experimentation was like, so awe inspiring the whole trip where I was just like, you know, cause it's like in America, we have like noise show, but it's like the pop-up table with the guy with this, the trash bag on his head, like the meme, yeah. like that's like kind of the vibe here. Whereas like, you know, people were doing like, noise cdj dj sets with a drummer mm-hmm. when it was like live improv and they were all like super synced up and the whole crowd was like the whole entire time so attentive and so like what's gonna happen you know mm-hmm. like and i was like oh this is like a different culture here for like experimental music and the way people receive it and the way they're willing to support it it was really cool that's awesome dude like that that stuff is so much better received it seems elsewhere than america like the 
uh, like Mersbo and stuff like that. Like it's just incredible yeah. stuff. But over here, it's really strange. And that <laughs> the meme of that guy, because like I've seen so many noise artists. I used to work security at a venue here called uh, Loveland when it was called Loveland. Uh, then it became Branks and Ritore. Oh, R.I.P. the Branks. Yeah, I used to live there, yep. and uh, <laughs> there was a band called Yellow Swans. Uh, they may yeah. still be together. They would practice next door, and it would give me such anxiety. It was the most intense music I've ever heard. It was just like <sighs> droning. Uh, I hate to say noise because it's not just noise. Like there was structure to it, but it gave me like this internal anxiety in my chest, and I was like. It's kind of sick. Yeah, like I was like, I hate this and I love this at the same time because it's making me feel something more than most music yeah. does. It doesn't just make me tap my foot. Like it's causing something inside my body to change. Yeah. And it was so loud. And it's just these two dudes just making these sounds that are so intense. But there's always a guy with that table and he brings out whatever he's got, whatever glitch kind of yeah. machine he's got. One guy was playing, uh, I forget his name, it was like this PDX pop festival, but he was playing uh like a ticket machine like almost like a time clock when you used to punch a time clock <laughs> and yeah. like like but it was it was all glitched out with this insane sound and it was everyone's just kind of like what the hell is this and then a few people are just staring like mesmerized and i imagine what you're saying like japan everyone's mesmerized and like totally into it I think, yeah, too, because we, like, you know, <clears throat> we didn't play with like, I feel like I get paired up with either like goth industrial stuff or I get paired up with like hardcore stuff. Mm -hmm. And the hardcore shows are fun because obviously like I'm writing with mosh parts in mind. Like mm -hmm. that's like the scene I come from, the stuff I love. But so like we're playing with more of like the goth or like experimental stuff. And so uh, something that had dawned on me is like, you know, normally at a show when you're doing like crowd interaction, talking to people and like, trying to get people to participate there's like this like eventually they'll move but in japan them not moving is like this sign of respect to a degree when it's like an experimental sort of show because what they're telling like what people are doing is they're giving you their full undivided attention mm -hmm. and they're just like locked in watching and trying to understand what you're doing and that took me like first show i was like that was kind of strange you know like Everybody just like stared at me, but not in like the, uh, the cool guy American way, but yeah. like in like a, like absolutely like, I just want to know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, just not used to it at all. And then my buddy who helped us with that tour, he was like, no, in, in Japan, they just want to give you attention because like that's them showing you like that they care yeah. in any regard. Like they don't need to mosh around. They just want you to know that you have their attention, which mm -hmm. is like the most important part, really, when you're performing. So, yeah, yeah. Everybody over there was so lovely. Like everybody was so fucking nice and just like hospitable. It was, it was great. Dude, that's great, man. I, 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 I can't imagine like, like getting super intense and screaming and like emoting so much physically and being having it received by people just watching you like it's almost like if you went into like a bus station here and just started doing that in port like you go to the greyhound station and start doing your set with no music and people would just stare at you probably the same way just like all right this is happening yeah. I, <laughs> without matching yeah without <laughs> matching the intensity that's yeah. got to be strange and but that's once you know i guess that's the case that makes a lot more sense once it explained to me, I was like, okay, like, you know what I mean? They're just like, you know, had we played with hardcore bands, uh -huh. 
you know, Japanese hardcore is very famous for having crazy ass moshers. Yeah. But I didn't play with any hardcore ramps. So like maybe in that avenue, it would have been different, but just in the space of like, uh, when music becomes closer to art than it does just like about performance of musical instruments, mm-hmm. it seems like the crowds over there are just like more intent on giving you just undivided attention to let you know that they respect what you're doing. Yeah. I wonder, but, I yeah. mean, I can see, I can see you fitting in with a lot of different styles of music, not just hardcore or like goth or anything like that. But why do you think it is that you get pit, not pigeonholed, but like put with those bands all the time? Like, cause you're very different than those bands what you're doing. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I always joke about how my music's kind of like a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you tell me what I sound like to you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. High odds. Most of the time when I talk to people, it's not what I listen to when I think about like writing music or like, you know, the influences I'm grabbing from. Yeah. So like, I think because my music is foreign enough, uh, to a lot of people and like the derivatives I'm taking are like, don't make sense to other people is that it's like, it's like the same thing as like grunge being called grunge mm-hmm. or like, you know, it's just like, I don't have like a tagline. Mm-hmm. So people are just like, Oh, well it's not normal. It's like very obviously like subculture music. It's head, like it's aggressive. Yeah. People do that in hardcore, you know, like, mm-hmm. so you should play with hardcore and then they're like, Oh, well there's synths and it's kind of dark. So like, I guess you're goth, you know, like, yeah. I think I just, <laughs> it's not like I have a lot of contemporaries that sound like me. Yeah. You know what I mean? To like move in. Cause like, you know, I just using grunge as an example. Cause it's like the last cultural movement of music, but it's like Alice in Chains and fucking Pearl Jam going on tour together makes sense. Mm-hmm. They're from the same scene and mm-hmm. they don't sound just like each other, but they're influenced by the same subculture. They can go tour together. For me, it's not like I. There's a guy in Boston who also makes synth mosh music. You know what I mean? And we can just pair up and go tour together. Yeah. I have a lot of things that are similar, but like we're not necessarily in the same space. Mm-hmm. Or like it's a little bit more, uh, you know, solo performance people. Mm-hmm. Or you know, and like so, I think I just like people are like to categorized to make things familiar for themselves, which I totally understand. You know, it's like, I do it all the time too. I listen to something. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of like, and then you name five different records from different genres to like try to deduce it to a thing. So you can categorize it for yourself. Yeah. And so I think in the live space event, like that's generally where I get put just because it's like, you know, you're not going to open for Metallica. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you could weird for that. That's the thing. You could. You could open for Metallica and it would fit. It'd be rad. Like, I could see you opening for Tool, like one of those, like, big arena tours. I could see you in a small, like, do you, have you, you've heard, obviously, probably obviously heard Author and Punisher. That would be a rad show together. Super nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Tristan. Yeah. He's awesome. But that would be a rad show. Like, there's so many, and he opened for Tool. Yeah. And, I saw him in a small club and like a month later with tool and it was so different. Yeah. Like seeing the expanse, like that oh, would be insane to see. I imagine how crushing the sound was oh too for God. his set in like a, an arena. It was the last show before COVID. It was at the Moda center right before yeah. the city shut down. Author and Punisher and tool. We went home. I was sitting there like, we shouldn't even be here. Like what's going on. And then everything shut down. 
It was crazy. But uh, seeing it, that transfer right there from small club, the tonic lounge, uh, yeah. before they tore it down and then Moda center within like a month, month and a half insane. But I guess I you did, play like, with any of these similar things. thing. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, me and Tristan have talked about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also just like, you know, I'm, I don't mean this in any slight, like I mean this in like full understanding mm-hmm. is I'm at a level right now where I think people want to see how I'm going to handle myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and you know, like nobody wants to give a helping hand to someone who hasn't suffered the same as them. Mm-hmm. That makes any mm-hmm. sense. It does. So, so I think for me, like, I think like absolutely author and punisher and I would make sense on a bill. Like mm-hmm. those shows would make sense, but it's also like Tristan career wise is much further ahead than I am mm-hmm. and has done a lot of work to get to that place. And until I do something similar, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, I'm in the bounds and I'm never going to ask somebody to do anything Sure. Um, to not make any sort of social pressure. Instead, I'm going to work on my own as hard as I possibly can and showcase to people that I'm hungry. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the zone I'm in. Like, obviously this health tour is an amazing opportunity and like, I'm yeah. very, very, very grateful. And I think it's a similar thing, you know, like mm-hmm. I've, I've played shows to like know people mm-hmm. I've done it. I've toured DIY and all those things. And I think it's more about, you know, eventually if somebody is in the same space as you as a contemporary, eventually they're going to ask you if they see you putting in the work that they respect. Mm-hmm. And there's a general consensus among artists. I feel like that. It's like, if you're putting yourself out there, you're pushing hard, even though it's like, you're not playing amazing shows. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're still doing it. You're still moving regardless of all of those things. I think that's when, you know, the, I always call them like forefathers, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just like in the regards of like the lineage of music, I feel like that's when people are like, okay, you're doing the same thing I did. Mm-hmm. I can see it. You know, you're pushing. So here's an opportunity for you yeah. since you were putting in all that work. So I think that's like kind of in the space I'm in too, where it's like, I would love to play with author and Punisher maybe when I come to the point where I've put in enough work and it, you know, makes sense, then we line that up sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I also am not like, I don't take any of that stuff personally. I'm just like, I just have to work harder. Cool. Sure. I love that attitude, man. And I love, I love that you know where you're at and, and, and are comfortable there to, to ride that, that spot for a while until things change. And that's such a great place to be. Um, comfortable with where you're at and i don't think a lot of people are and and that's so strange too like i come from the touring world as well i've been out of it for over 10 years but like uh playing to nobody playing arenas playing to nobody playing to uh you know sheds and wherever else like uh i don't think people realize most bands start that way and they all all the bands that have gotten big have gotten big usually from starting from that point which shows the importance of every person in the audience because one of those people in the five person crowd told 40 people about you and then it yep. continues. And, you win. Yeah. And people lose sight of that. I think they're like, man, there's only two yeah. people here tonight. We're not going to do this. I mean, my sentiment is always like, I will play anything where there's somebody I could possibly win over, mm-hmm. you know? Cause it's just like the, my whole vision is, to like be as try to be as honest and like forthcoming with my music mm-hmm. as possible and make it a visceral thing that other people can participate in, you know? Yeah. And so therefore it's like, you know, if I was just talking about this, but it's like, if you've never played in front of 10 people, 
you're not ready for 500 people mm-hmm. because 10 people's the work. Yeah. 500 people's easy. Even if they're just staring at you, a full room is an easy thing to do Yeah, because you're like, Oh, well it's like, they're here, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. I can't even see all their faces, whatever. You can only see the first 10. People, <laughs> yeah. 10 people when you're in a room and it's pretty empty and you have to commit to your visions still mm-hmm. and be like, well, these 10 people care. 10 people cared enough. And it's not as many people as maybe you wanted. Like that's where you learn about yourself as a musician. I think like, mm-hmm. cause you don't know, like what is your commitment to your vision until you're in front of no one. Mm-hmm. And there's not praise. There's, you know what I mean? There's not any like, Oh, it's reassurance or anything. Like it's just you. And you have to prove yourself to a room of 10 people who don't look very excited to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that's the, really the work of all of this is like, you know, you have to do that. You have to suffer a little bit and eat humble pie and like learn about yourself because it's much easier when you're like, you know, had I not done really gnarly tours where it's like there are six people at a show, mm-hmm. uh, then it's like, how am I going to handle trying to like turn a crowd of 600 people who've never heard me before? You know, yeah. you literally don't, just don't have the skill set or you flounder if you get a really big opportunity, you know, which it could happen for people. Yeah. You, know, you just get like one big tour offer pretty quickly. But it's like, then you're going to be doing that work in front of people. Whereas I feel very fortunate that like the health tour, I feel like I'm coming in like the most dialed in I've ever been because it's like, you know, just been pushing, just been pushing. And I'm grateful to not have to do that work in front of these crowds we're about to play for. You know, I feel very comfortable now and things are pretty chill. So, yeah, it's like a comedian touring for a year first before they do their hour special. It's yep, like the, exactly. That's a. Uh, that's interesting too with with i mean because your vision doesn't necessarily need to matter to everybody or to 500 people versus 10 people it becomes all the more important when it's just 10 people because they're i mean you're literally i like what you said about being able to turn a crowd too because that's something i don't think you're born with that skill that takes time and and falling on your face and yeah it's exactly it's a craft like you know you look at a big like you look at like um what's one that really stuck out to me like i i used to joke like when i saw green day in alaska for the first time back in 99 or whatever 98 i felt like billy joe could say anything he wanted he could just fart in a microphone and the entire arena would cheer and just how weird it is to be in that position you could say anything and everyone would just go crazy you could just make like a grunting sound with no just like and everyone yes how weird that is and how fucked up that is for your for your uh like who you are and 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 how you feel about yourself and like it's such a weird thing to juggle and if you're not ready for it I, it could destroy you i think and of course they were ready for so many years of underground yeah. shows but like it could destroy a person it could ruin their entire reality yeah. You know? I mean, there's a lot of yes people Yeah, in any documentary you ever watch mm-hmm. about a band something bad happens. There's a lot of yes people. Yeah. And I think like the importance of like, you know, even just like funny things, like, uh, we were playing Vancouver mm-hmm. and, you know, just learning like, Oh, I set myself up for someone to hassle me in the crowd. And it was a funny joke. I will say, mm-hmm. 
but like I was just doing banter on stage and I was just saying, I'd never played Vancouver before and how Canadians are like really nice. And I was like, it's kind of crazy how nice you guys are. And then somebody in the crowd goes, fuck you. And I was like, <laughs> I set myself up for yep. that. Like, you know, learning the dynamic of like things you should or shouldn't <laughs> say, or like how everything is, can be kind of a setup if you're not thinking about the context of like the way you're interacting with a group of people and like, you know, yeah. I think having the sense of like, no, like I have to like work for this versus just like, it would be, I could literally can't imagine the scenario where I just walk out on stage and I'm like, this crowd loves me. You know? <laughs> that is like inconceivable <laughs> to me, but a really like on the same topic, uh, I went to the cure at uh -huh. Motor center. Yeah. And I like Robert Smith walked out, you know, mm. and he just walks out very slowly and just waves at everybody. That's all he does. And it almost moved me to tears because Moda Center sold out to uh -huh. like 10,000 people. Deafening applause. Yeah. Deafening cheering. And I got emotional, not because it was like, oh, they love him so much. But then I thought about this context of like, where that dude came from mm -hmm. there's no way robert smith hasn't played shitty shows where people heckled him exactly. because he's a pioneer uh -huh. so i was like he gets this because he's been the guy for fucking 50 years straight mm -hmm. now it's not like oh he's just a pop star but i was like wow he's been a weird guy his whole life and mm -hmm. it's beautiful that you know that dude had to probably play 100 cap venues with 20 people there to then becoming a pioneer and you know, he's in his seventies and now if he walks into a, an arena of 10,000 people, they're going to cheer for 20 minutes and he has to tell them to stop so he yeah. can play. That's like, so that's incredible. Beautiful. That's yeah. so incredible. Yeah. And he's been himself his whole life, like uncompromising. And, but then here's the weird thing to think about. Not everyone knows who Robert Smith. It's hilarious. He has one of the most common names ever. Two of them. Yeah. Uh, it could have been John Smith. Um, but when you say Robert Smith, you know, what you're talking about. But how many people in his daily life does he come across that don't know who he is and just kind of look at him like, what is this guy's deal? Like he probably just gets it's probably like the perfect amount of famous. Yeah. He gets stared at by people that don't know who he is and he gets stared at people who do and are too afraid to say something to him. Yeah. You know, he's changed countless lives, but he's been himself the whole time. That's an incredible yeah. moment. I remember I saw the last Slayer tour uh, at whatever the amphitheater is up in Van uh, uh, Ridgefield. It changes names. Oh, yeah. It's some RV style or whatever. Yeah. Um, McDonald's Center, whatever it changes to. Uh, Lamb of God Slayer, Fifth Row Center. Uh, most incredible thing ever. But I don't know if you were at that show. Maybe you were. But they um, at the end, they all stayed on stage. And like Tom Araya would just walk to one side of the stage and just kind of look. And people were just screaming and cheering. And he just sit there and just kind of, you know, like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he just kind of like walk to the other side of the stage and just look. And then you see him tearing yeah. up. And it's like, for one, you're watching Slayer cry. But like, you're seeing him tear up because he knows the last time he's going to be up there. But yeah. so many years and so many struggles and, you know, uh, just a, a lifespan of creativity coming to an end that night there. It wasn't the last show by any means. Yeah. But it was the last time there and just taking yeah. in that energy that was yeah. almost better than the whole show. Yeah. I mean, the older I get and the more I get into the music thing, the more 
I find myself like the artist I revisit or the people that I admire and I take influence from, it may not even be sonically, but it's the people who were uncompromising mm -hmm. and won, you know, yes. like Justin Broderick of Godflesh, mm -hmm. like one of the prime examples met him, nothing but an absolute sweetheart. And that dude has done whatever he wanted since he started. Mm -hmm. And you know, you just like, that's it. And there's an audience for him. And, you know, like we played, uh, we played Hawthorne mm -hmm. and that was a sold out show for him, for Godflesh, yeah. for him and Ben. And it's like, he's been doing this since I think street cleaner came out in 89 mm -hmm. and he was in napalm death before that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all he did was just do what he wanted to do. Yeah. And he won like things like that are what I admire. Like I, love to think about the context of like looking back on your life as a musician and whether you're, you know, 50, 60, 70, mm -hmm. but looking back and just being like, Oh, I did what I wanted the whole entire time. And it works. You know, yeah. those are the people that I find myself admiring a lot as I get older. Dude in seven, seven and a half years and 350 some episodes, no one has ever said that. I don't think uh, looking at things that way, like being uncompromising, getting the win being who they are like that's i think this is probably the first time i've talked about this because uh, with somebody else but like also imagine like you fed yourself you fed other people from something you created like you just came up with it in your brain and turned Whoa. it into like it's like weaving uh like magic string into something you know like it, you're yeah. taking something from thin air like an idea and you're turning it into something that also can't be seen music uh sonically and taking care of yourself the yeah, whole and, and probably getting whatever's beautiful. inside out too like cathartically pulling pulling these demons or these struggles that could end you uh and placing them in the hands of other people through creativity is just insane to me to think that you can survive that way, but it's beautiful. Like you're saying, like it's, yeah. it's, you get the win. It's a win. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's uh you know, not, not every person that wins is a good person and not every person that loses is a bad person. You yeah. Know I mean? Yeah. But I, yeah, I think, I think a lot more in the context now, like I think as a young man, I was very much of the mind, like as a young teenager where I was like, Oh, tw I'll be dead by the time I'm 25. Like, those years don't matter to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I've gotten older and worked through a lot of stuff now, I'm like, Oh man, like I'm going to make it to 30. I'm going to make it to 40. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in that context, looking at uh, what I'm doing, like, I think the biggest thing for me is not like what I do does not have to be the best ever. Nothing is going to ever be perfect, but the, it has to be honest mm -hmm. because I would rather, you know, uh, look 10 years from now and be like, Oh, I understand what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And in that moment at that exact time, I was honest versus doing something contrived. And then you look back on it and you're like, Oh God, like, yeah. what was I thinking? What was I doing? Yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I definitely look at the legacies of a lot of musicians that I'm just like, you literally just did whatever you wanted mm -hmm. and it worked out for you. And you know, it might not 
work out for me. It might not work out for other people, but it's really just the fact that there is a slight chance. There's a slight possibility that you can win by doing what you want Mm -hmm. instead of having to completely abide by like a set of rules or being like super commercially viable or, you know, X, Y, Z. It's like, I'm, I'm writing songs that are not as heavy all the time, but like, I'm going to do it on my terms. You know, I'm singing because I think it gives me another emotion in my music. Not because I'm like, Oh, this one can get playlisted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's more important to me for the creative expression that it is for like the possible payout, you know, like, yeah. Cause we plan on that. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> You're creating a catalog of, of work or a body of work for the right reasons. That's an interesting spot in someone's life. When a young person, goes from the like the nihilistic thing like it doesn't matter i'm not going to make it to here to then realizing that the future could happen and either what can i do about it or just acknowledging that the future is inevitable whether you're here or not and how are you going to deal with things that's a really cool point in someone's life because you kind of put away what doesn't matter and really start to find your your footing and find who you are and it it all kind of happens at the same time Maybe not in your 20s or 30s, but when it does happen, it seems to happen at the same time. Not for everybody, but at the same. Yeah. Once you realize one, you realize the other. You start to to grow. The last two years of my life, I would say, have been like the between finishing my last album, which was like, you know, a really gnarly emotional process Mm -hmm. to family passing away to, you know, all these things happening in my life. It was like all of a sudden I, I felt like the, you know, they say like men's brains quit growing at 25. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I felt like I like instantly felt that like my, (laughs) my perception of like danger or like risk versus reward became like much more apparent to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, things became like, I don't want to say more serious, but I think I understand the gravity of things a little bit more, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Cause now I'm like, Oh shit. Like maybe I want to have kids someday. Mm-hmm. you know and then mm-hmm. i'm like what does that look like <laughs> like you know it's it, hard bro <laughs> it, it shifts everything though like i feel like the last two years all of a sudden you know i used to really dwell on things mm-hmm. and now it's like you know that's obviously obviously always gonna be a part of you but now i'm more of like how can i proactively let go of things mm-hmm. and it's not like something i'm excelling at or something as much as it's like that's just was never a part of my life yeah. until all of a sudden I got to this point where it's like, you know, my, I'm thinking about music in a different context in a long-term context, like my life in a long-term context, my vision and like my, my goals. And like, you know, I used to just do stuff. If that makes any sense. It totally does. It just like, it just like focused in and I was like, Oh, I understand like where I'm at and what I'm trying to do. And I know what I need to do. Yeah. It was, it's a very strange part of my life right now. It's like like turning the flashlight chapter, turning the knob on the flashlight that focuses it from the whole room to like the clock or whatever you're looking at that laser focus. Um, What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track 
You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, Synced Lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. 
because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Man, what an interesting, this is, this is a totally interesting conversation because I, I love talking about stuff like this, but it also makes me wonder like, you you seem and this is and I'm gauging all this from just this small conversation we've had so far but you just have such a level head on your shoulders and like we're talking about you're shifting into that focus mode but like going going back if we can uh yeah you you're not from Portland like you you grew up in Oregon like outside yeah. of Portland where, I grew up in Rogue River Oregon okay right next to France but yeah where where does this stem from this 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 level-headedness this this um self-awareness <laughs> like uh, you yeah. probably weren't born this way maybe you were but what what started that like what what was kind of the catalyst for that did you like have like a big family small family uh you know like growing up i grew up on a small island in alaska so like my stuff was shaped by that by nature by danger by and I was in the eighties. So like raised myself pretty much because we just leave that's and that's it. Man. So like, but for you, what, what brought you to this point? Do you feel like from those, from uh, those days? I've, I've thought about this a lot. You know, I think it's like, it's an ongoing joke to you know, people like meet me or in my friend group specifically, you know, they'll learn about my family and like my life and whatnot. Mm -hmm. and they're like, how do you get, to be you then. Um, but I think it's just like, there's like kind of two main pillars of my life, I would say. And, uh, you know, a lot of addiction in my family. Okay. So I had parents that were absent on and off. And then within that, I had a woman in my life who, um, basically was just like my adoptive grandmother. I have no relation to her. Mm -hmm. Um, she just kind of saw the situation for what it was and took me in. Uh -huh. And so, uh, I think with my biological family, I have a very deep sense of reality and the consequences of things and the failures of things mm -hmm. and how real, like, yeah, not to be too dark, but like the self-trust you have to have with yourself. If like, if your parents are willing to leave you, it sets a standard to you pretty young in your life that anybody can leave you. Mm -hmm. So I think within that, it's like, you have to rely on yourself a lot. Yeah. And then within that, on the B side, uh, my grandmother, she was just like the best, honestly, just like complete unabashed, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So I think between the two of those things, it was like, you know, I had a pre, I try to not use it as much, but like I've lived a lot of my life off of spite, I would say, mm -hmm. just like I'm going to be better than people I hate. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think within that, and then also where I grew up, I grew up like in a town of 1800 people. Mm -hmm. I lived pretty far out in the woods. You know, there was no fast food in my town. We had two stoplights. So I spent a lot of my youth grounded sitting in the woods mm -hmm. with the only thing I had was music. So I think in that time, it's like the foundation was laid by my family for better, or for worse. Yeah. And then just like the pure, you know, and, isolation's like 
sounds like a negative word, but as I would assume, you know, too, growing up in the wilderness, like the isolation of being comfortable by yourself Mm -hmm. and to a degree learning to thrive in it because there's no other option, you know, because you're far from things and there's not like culture and civilization really around. So yeah, I think where I was raised in my family have like a lot to do with the way, the way I am as a person. I think, you know, I think about, I don't know about you, but like, I I like living in the city for sure, Mm -hmm. but I daydream about just being back in the woods where I grew up. Yeah. Just sitting around, just hanging out with my dog, mm-hmm. not doing anything. And like the complete, like complete unbothered isolation mm-hmm. of being just like in nature with your thoughts, wandering around, think about it all the time. And yeah. I, so I think that's like a really integral part of like my upbringing. It was just like being alone a lot, thinking a lot, constantly being like, oh, you know, I have a lot of bad examples. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if I just don't do what they did and analyze myself, then maybe it'll turn out, you know? Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I, uh, you know, I, I empathize greatly with the situation in it uh, because like it's the fact that you turn that around, if you could, and like you said, having parents leave you like the one thing that should be there all the time that you should be able from a child, from a baby, you know, when I get home, if they're still alive, when I get home, mom and dad are there or dad's there, or mom's there, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whatever your situation, when that goes away to not harp on that and go down the road of negativity and, uh, you know, just completely destroy yourself, self-destruct uh, or a self-destructive path, which may happen from time to time, but you know, not to let it ruin 100%. you, not to let it ruin yeah. you. I understand what you're saying about growing up, like out of spite, like, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this and not be that to have that realization that young is, is awful to have to have that realization that young, but also turn it into a very valuable tool. And this, your grandmother who you're talking, this is the, the, the woman that was not your biological grandmother, but was like a grandmother to you. That resonates huge. We, we, a buddy of mine were talking about this the other day, uh, out in the woods, there was a, a lady that would take in uh, like wayward youth and teach them how to do things, teach them how to farm, teach them how to, to grow their own food, teach them how that to build is. a house, like things like that, to which I told him, hey, there's a friend of mine whose dad had that same thing. He was brought in by a woman in the woods in California, taught how to grow things, taught how to build houses. He fell in love with landscaping, started his own landscaping company supported his whole family and kids off of that from what this woman did and no relation whatsoever just would take in these these lost souls and and turn them into productive people and that is such a i had no idea it's not necessarily a common story but i had no idea how many times this has happened just in the last like couple months talking about things which now you're talking about the same thing someone with no ties to you could love you unconditionally Yeah, You know, like, here's this kid. Beautiful thing. I need to take care of this kid and probably saved your life. Who knows? But like the, the, oh, I mean, I said all the time, hundred percent, like without my grandmother, I'm probably, you know, addicted to something or dead by this point in my yeah. life. Like that's absolutely how I felt. Oh. Even as a person who is, you know, devoutly religious, mm-hmm. like I'm a tattooed guy who makes screaming music, you yeah. know? And my grandmother was always like, well, that's just your path. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I wish you would come to church, but I know you're not going to. Yeah. I'd still love you. Yeah. You're just doing your thing. So, you know, just having uh, undivided care and support mm-hmm. from someone, it doesn't need to be your parents. You know, I think it taught me very early on too, like even the community I'm in in Portland or like, you know, it's like all my best friends are like my siblings at this point. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. They're the people that I'm going to call upon when I need help, not mm-hmm. necessarily my family. And it teaches you that young when you're in that situation where it's like, Oh, like the whole blood thing is kind of just like some shit people say. Yeah. It's <laughs> circumstantial. Know, blood's thicker. <laughs> yeah. Blood's thicker than water. And it's like, yeah, maybe if your parents are trying to send you to college and show up to every baseball game, it is mm-hmm. but like, you know, if it's not that, then it's like, you know, water can turn to blood is how I feel. Yeah. And it's like, um, yeah, I definitely think, uh, the impact my grandmother had on my life could never be, understated like it's like or overstated i should say there's no conditions there's no conditions there's no judgment just i'm going to take care of this person it's such a i mean it's a a a life's accomplishment you know in that in that aspect and i loved what you said about isolation because i very much was the same way i just go out in the woods and catch frogs and climb trees and trees yeah pocket knife to (laughs) trees I used to feel, I joke about it because I used to feel, this was before the internet and cell phones, of course, at 80, probably 85, 86, but I would take balloons and I'd fill them with dust and dirt from the side of the road and then tie a string to it and just swing it around and like hit trees with it and go around town with my Batman cape on and my rain boots and just didn't give a shit. And it was awesome. But you learn who you are at a young age and you learn to be with yourself alone with your thoughts to be creative to to generate ideas or at least be receptive to ideas yeah. because ideas i feel like they literally pass from person to person until someone grabs onto it and it just kind of yeah you know it's in the ether yeah because it's like those yeah. those memes that show like when i was you know back in 98 or whatever tell me one of these things you weren't doing and it's something like putting a pin through your finger and like of the skin or like uh, putting a, a, the hair clip on your lips or like putting Pringles, like a duck bill. Everyone identifies with it because we're all the same that way. And so, but being receptive to those ideas is huge for an artist, but it's huge for anyone. But I don't think a lot of people get the chance to do that because they're so clouded with other things and other people and other people's schedules and other people's things that, they can't be comfortable with themselves. And in the end, I feel truly that when you pass on that part, you do completely alone. Even with people around you, you are by yourself. And if you're not comfortable with that, I feel like, and this is kind of morbid, but I feel like if you're not comfortable with yourself, that's going to be a rough ride at the end where you're kind of terrified instead of kind of relieved to be back to where this is where I know, this is what I know. I know this person. I know this mind. Let's go. Yeah. Like it's, uh, you know, uh, when family members start passing, you kind of see how they handle it and, uh, changes it. It changes your whole world, bro. Like, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I lost my dad in yeah. 2019 and my DNA changed. Like it was that level of grief that you just can't, and everyone handles it differently. And, um, but your whole world changes, man. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, but that's, yeah, the reality of like, uh, mortality, I think mm-hmm. is like a huge part of my life in the last couple of years too, where it's like, you know, it's 
coming for us all. I might as well yeah. do what the fuck I want and like try to be, mm-hmm. you know, not like, not to say like in the regards of like, I think everybody is uh, at baseline. Like we're not all generally good or evil. You know what I mean? I think yeah. everybody's kind of a blank slate and there's always going to be things that you need to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I'm going to die someday. I might as well just try to keep learning and growing. Like literally what mm-hmm. else could I do? Other than, you know, I don't want to be the dude that's like 16, completely out of touch with the world because I'm mad. It's not the way it was when I was 25. Like mm-hmm. that sucks, dude. Yeah. All you can do is just like grow and keep be like, okay, maybe like at the end of all of this, like I'm stoked with what I did, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You that's think really all that matters to me at this point. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be I the richest guy in the graveyard. <laughs> dude yeah who gives a shit i literally was just talking about this with my buddy like all my friends are you know similarly aged slightly older slightly younger than me Mm -hmm. and just talking about the idea of like oh i want to do this thing but i don't know if i should and i have been telling all my friends lately i think about things in two contexts now on my deathbed am i going to be like i'm bummed i didn't do it if so then i should probably fucking do it (laughs) yeah Two, if I have children someday and they ask me about said thing, am I going to be embarrassed to tell my children I didn't do it? Mm-hmm. If yes, I should probably fucking do it. Yeah. Like that's kind of how I've just broken up like the last two years of my life. If I'm like, if I get asked to do something or I think I have to do something, mm-hmm. it's like, well, if I'm laying on my deathbed and I'm like, death's coming, it's knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. Am I going to think about this later and be pissed off at myself that I didn't do it? Mm-hmm then just fucking go do it. You know, like failure is better than, uh, wondering, you know, exactly the what ifs and you'll be shocked. (laughs) You'll be shocked at how much your kids do not give a shit about who you are or what you did. (laughs) If I want to bore my kids, I will tell them tour stories or I'll show them YouTube videos or whatever. And like, like, yeah, you were in a band where you like, yeah, yeah, I was, you want to see. And like, not really. Or, or or I'll put it on. And they're like, yeah, can we watch something else? Like they just, you know, they they have no care whatsoever. Dude, uh, I they're just, just into themselves. With a singer of Slow Dive. Uh huh. And how his daughter uh, was showing him a song, and it was Allison, <laughs> <laughs> and it was because her friends had found it on TikTok uh-huh. and found this amazing song that they all loved. Yeah. And then he was talking about how he was like, that was the moment I had to tell my daughter, I'm the singer of slow dive. <laughs> and I wrote that song when I was like a young man. And like, she had, she knew he was in a band, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter to her what fucking band he's in. Yeah. And he was like, that was the first time my daughter ever understood mm-hmm. like, Oh, you were in a band that like, people still listen to and yeah. you're like you're the singer guy but he was like you know she's like 16 or 17 or something and he was like first time in her whole life where she was like oh you're the singer of slow dive yeah <laughs> i thought it was really funny that he's like didn't give a shit until that's then. incredible but the cool part about that is she didn't give a shit about who he was but that song resonated with her yeah on its own with no preconceptions later. That's not yep. my dad. That's I love this song. Wait a minute. That's you. Oh, and then she probably hated it after that. She's like, oh, yeah. That's oh, my cool. dad. God damn it. Yeah. Damn it, yeah. dad. Oh my God. That's yeah. You see, you see so many of those situations where the kids just don't care about what their, their yeah. dad does or whatever. And and uh man. Uh real quick, I want to talk about Steve Evitz. 
because yeah. he's a, a buddy of mine. Boy. He is one of the coolest people ever. I did not know you'd work with Steve Evitz, what, twice now. He yep. also did. Did he tell you the story of the cure record he did? Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, talking to him about him working on that album is, you know, I love working with Steve because we're going to do good work. Yeah. But also listening to Steve and just the timeline of his career and like mm -hmm. the things he's done is so awe inspiring. Yeah. And like, it gets me just hyped. Like, just like we were tracking vocals and he told me a Robert Smith story. And I was like, I have to. Yes. I have to do really good now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He told, did yeah, he Steve tell you the, the flying him home to mix the Dillinger record story? Yep. Oh yeah. my God. And then uh, mixing for them at a secret show in a 150 cap club. Yeah. In London, yeah. I was like, <sighs> Oh, I love yeah. that man. He is, he is the best stories in the world. If we do podcasts, we have to schedule like four hours to like do these these yeah. he's we've we just keep putting it off the, the part two because we know it's going to be a long one because there's so many stories uh but working with someone like steve like yeah tell me about that because i i love to hear stuff like especially like with ross robinson too um i love ross stories but i love steve stories because he's such an incredible and influential figure in music yeah and so i mean the amount of records he's made that changed my life like you know yeah I mean? And he moved. So, did you you record with him on the East Coast? Then at his new his new place, or did you record with him here in California, like Both. on the West Coast? Both. So, okay. Yeah. So the last album I put out, Underline Home, uh -huh. I was trying to figure out. Uh, so Kurt Ballou records the instrumentals and mixes my records. Yes. And then Steve does all the vocal production. Okay. Um, but at the time, I had recorded all of the instrumentals, mm -hmm. and I knew that I really wanted to push myself vocally. And I needed someone that I trusted, you know, uh, just subject matter and like me trying new things, just delicate situation. Yeah. You know, like I needed someone who was going to push me, but not try to break me basically. Mm -hmm. Like if I sing something flat, I've only sang for a year of my life. You know what I mean? Like give me the tools to go forth. Yeah. Um, and we have a mutual friend, Sarah Taylor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she was like, you should work with Steve. Um, that'll that makes sense to me and i was like okay so me and steve started talking i sent him all the demos he was like yeah let's fucking do it so i went down to his spot that was in orange county mm -hmm. and recorded for two, almost two weeks with him just vocals 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 and you know it was just him and i mm -hmm. which yeah it's when you're recording with a full band like you were recorded with the band yeah. everybody's there everybody's talking there's like you know a lot of joking around and having mm -hmm. fun whereas like this kind of just like instantly that disintegrates so fast because it's like one we're doing lyrics we're doing vocals and it's just us mm -hmm. so um working with him's awesome though like him and kurt are we're both like you know they're i would say like i said earlier my forefathers mm -hmm. musically yeah. Yeah. production like i'm also a producer outside of just being like a writer and so i looked up to both of them a lot and both of them the amount of times i would feel like maybe a little nervous about something or like you know this part's too simple mm -hmm. this feels dumb that this part feels like this and the reassurance they would both just give me not even like coddling me but just being like you're the artist this is your vision what do you want and being like, oh, like you're saying you trust my vision. You want to aid me in my vision. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, like the amount of technical stuff Steve taught me just because he was like, I can tell you want to learn. So mm-hmm. I'll teach you, you know, and I would be like, why do you do reverb this way? And then he would give me like a literally like a 30 minute lesson and like actually show me the reasoning. Yeah. Tell me what piece of gear this used to be done on, why he does it in the box now, like engineers that he learned this from mm-hmm. who would have done this on like a Motley crew record in the eighties and how they started doing it. And like anybody that like gives me lore and history of something and why we're doing it always wins me over. And Steve is that guy. Like he will, tell you a random technique and then tell you the history behind it and how it started and who was the guy who did it first and how that sound started to spread. And I, you know, just, I just have an affinity for any person that's like so passionate about what they do, that they Mm -hmm. know the history even of like a technical move, you know? Yeah. It's like playing guitar and tapping. You're like, Whoa, I do this because Eddie Van Halen Mm -hmm. did this. You know what I mean? Like just knowing where things come from and understanding the lineage of things. So you can take that and modify yourself is like, a huge thing for me, but yeah, I mean, also like working with Steve is, uh, not, not easy because he's hard to be around, but not easy because he's going to push you. Yeah. And, uh, doing the album with him, I only played like, you know, a handful of shows. I was like, I'm getting this record ready. I'm really solidifying what I want to do and how I'm going to present this vision and the shows I'd played before I worked with Steve and the shows I played after I worked with Steve or different shows Mm -hmm. like the vocal dexterity understanding, even just like timing when I'm in a live setting of how I'm going to perform these songs and like where the energy comes from, how I can move my mouth in a better direction Mm -hmm. just to like get my point across a little bit better with a vocal tone, like are all things Steve just casually taught me in passing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what you're yelling you're yelling, you're yelling. And then all of a sudden, you know, you think you got the take and then Steve's like, do it again. And you're just destroying yourself to get to a new direction. Mm-hmm. And then when you get there, he's like, that was it. You did it. Like, you did the work. Mm-hmm. We're here. And you know, moments like that and like seeing how far you can push yourself to get to a new direction, a new place and know that like, it's a part of your vision is mm-hmm. like, yeah. Working with Steve's the best. Love him. And he also loves good food. So yeah. <laughs> while you're getting absolutely punished with tracking vocals, cause he's just like, do it again, do it again, do it again. We're going to get there. And then he'll be like, we're going to order some really amazing Chinese food from this random spot in town that I love to go to once a week, you know, like, <laughs> and then you just eat amazing food. So yeah. Yes. The reward yeah. is huge. Yeah, Mr. Steve Evans, man, there's there's few people in the world that have that kind of uh, power to just do their job, but also make you better in as a person and as a a performer, just from being who they are. Like you, it's in you. They just pull it out. Yeah, you just don't know what that place is. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like, even coming back, so like a track to the record with him in Mm -hmm. Orange County, and then going to Jersey and back in November. Um, you know, also the relationship of like feeling like one, a little bit more like we're contemporaries, Mm -hmm. like we're, we're friends now Mm -hmm. and, uh, him understanding my vision even more. And same with Kurt, like this last time recording these new songs and stuff, I was like, Oh, you understand me now. And now I know you're like, it's one thing to push me because we're getting to a new place, but it's another thing to push me because 
you know where we're going and I know where we're going, like mutually together. Yeah. And I felt that a lot on this last trip where like Steve would hear the influence or like I would explain to him the idea or the vision behind the song. And then he'd be like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to do, you know, even just like small things. Like there's a song that's not released yet, mm-hmm. um, but there's like a bridge part where I'm yelling. And Steve was like, oh, we should use the overhead microphones from the actual room. Mm-hmm. And you can use that as a blend in layer. So it'll actually sound like you're yelling in a fucking room because that's what you want it to sound like. So like, why don't we just do it? Mm-hmm. You know, he's just really great at aiding a vision. If you can, if you have the vision, Steve will get you to your vision. If you can tell him what it is. Yeah, dude, I'm going to text him after this. This is awesome. I, he's, yeah, he's so great. Uh, this new collection of songs, though, like, is this going to be a full record? Or is this going to be like just a collection of songs that come out as they do? Because cut the cord, dude. That it's like I'm getting punched in the face in a good way. Like there's okay. Yeah. So I always like tie these things back to something else because just how it works in my brain. But there's this movie Southpaw with Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's a boxer, and it's a whole situation. But yeah. the beginning of the movie, I saw it in the theater. And it's in a fight and the camera's literally on you getting punched in the face. And my wife was like jumping out of her seat because it felt real. That song feels like I'm in that fight, but in like a warm way, like a warm, like I'm happy to be there. It's weird. Like I'm happy to be getting my ass kicked and it's so brutal and, and just so calculated that it's just this, like, I can't help but feel comfortable comfortably uncomfortable it's such a weird thing and that really like set me off i was just like this is fucking awesome and i played it again and i played it again and i played it in my truck and i played you know like i was just and i'm and i also feel interesting listening to your music as i'm driving around portland because we live in the same town like i see what you see like uh, it's kind of cool being in that same spot like oh maybe (laughs) you know maybe this idea popped up from this or like you know just being in that same energy is interesting but that song killed me dude like uh it's incredible so So, like but these are going to come out just kind of as they come out not as a full collected record yeah so i'm in the early stages on next album okay i'm uh i write pretty like i write instrumentals a lot but Mm -hmm. lyrically i never force anything lyrics are like near and dear to me they Mm -hmm. have to mean something or the song doesn't mean anything at all sure Like just even to be able to perform and yell, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I can't yell words that don't mean anything to Mm -hmm. me. So, um, I'm slowly building up the process towards album two. It's just really like, I'm touring, obviously the last record. Mm -hmm. And I basically just wanted to, because the, for the last record took me so long that I was like, I can't take three years, you know? Cause it's basically what I took to put out the last album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again. And I've been writing it for so long that I wrote most of these new singles, like within weeks to a couple months after the album came out, because it was the first time I'd been like, Oh, I'm free mm-hmm. from being in the cycle of something. So these were kind of just to like, a, I'm not stopping. It was kind of the sentiment. Like I'm moving. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep going. Like we're in this, and then two, like I laid the groundwork sonically of what I want to do. Here's where we're going to keep these roads moving. Mm-hmm. Like these are still avenues I'm exploring. And like, this is what's going to happen. I'm on tour. Come see one of these songs live mm-hmm. because it's evolving. It's changing. Like 
you know, that's, I want the songs that are heavy to be heavier than anything I've ever done. And yeah. I want the songs that are soft or weird. I want those to be softer and weirder and better than anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just like, you know, to keep things going and just being like, I'm not at a standstill just because it took me three years to write a record. It's like, I'm trains left. Yeah. We're on it. Yeah. <laughs> it might slow down at a couple stops, but we're not, uh, I'm not taking gears now to do things like I'm on the road. If you want to see these songs, they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And you know, there'll be more music soon when my schedule dies down, but till then yeah, <laughs> having a couple songs in the back pocket is a, is a nice thing to do. Yeah. Then, even just the scheduling of recording these songs was absolutely gnarly too. Like, uh, the album came out last April. I wrote the first song, I think, may like 17th or something like that mm-hmm. right in that time frame two weeks after the album came out yeah uh wrote some additional singles and finished like completely finished them maybe september okay so they marinated all o- summer october on tour with converge uh-huh. come home have an engagement party leave three days after to go to the studio to record all these singles and it was like you know in the meantime just playing shows uh-huh. doing all this stuff and then go record the singles holidays instantly into australia japan mm-hmm. come home for three weeks now to health it's like just the amount of shows i've been doing it's it makes it very hard to find the time to be able to like you know the work-life balance yeah and uh not go completely too far in one direction because i'm very infamous for doing that yeah and becoming extremely obsessive and just like being like i have to see this through so (laughs) i try to i try to monitor when i'm going to be obsessive now yeah dude hell yeah well man this has been awesome dude we're right there uh thank you again for doing this and yeah, of course. and thank you for sharing so much and and uh i know it's not easy to do that stuff sometimes and um i appreciate it and uh well i love the music i i am uh I'm I'm here for it, man. And oh, yeah. uh, thank you, man. I got to see you live because I haven't. And it's so strange we're in the same town. We haven't probably crossed paths or anything, but uh, especially with music. But like um, next time, do you know when you're playing Portland next? Uh, Is health coming through Portland? The health tour? We're playing Rev Hall, dude. I'm gonna be there. That's one of my favorite yeah. venues. Oh my god, I saw Earth there. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah. I think I think Portland sold out. But shoot me a message and I'll see what I can figure out. Okay. Obviously it's the hometown show. So I want anybody that's, you know, a friend of mine or, you know, family, whatever, to be able to pull up to the show. So absolutely brother. We'll figure it out. I appreciate that. And, and uh, dude, all the best of luck to you. And uh, when album two is done, let's do this again, man. And uh, this has been really awesome. I really appreciate the time and and I'm so stoked for what you got going on, man. And and, uh, yeah, we'll do this again. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. All right. It was a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good evening. Yeah, you too. All Talk right. You we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with King Yosef. I had a blast talking to him and uh, went to some pretty interesting places, which I'm stoked about. And I'm stoked to see them in April here in Portland on tour with Health. And man, what a dude. Such a good head on his shoulders, uh, you know, coming from a rough past to turn it around and be so self-aware and focused and driven is just a huge 
nod to uh, the fact that you can change your surroundings, you can change your past, you can change, we can't change your past, but you can grow from it, you can change the cycle, you can break the cycle and move forward in a positive direction uh, and do whatever you want to do. I mean, dude's doing whatever he wants and people are, are, are gravitating towards it and it's a beautiful thing. So if you got that same thing going, I mean, more power to you, you know, push it, push it and, and try, you know, it, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, he's doing some amazing things and the music's great and I, I only see good things in the future for him. Uh, so thank you for, to Yosef for coming on. Uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing them in April with health. Um, if that tour is coming to your town, go check it out because they are incredible. Um, man, I am just uh, so stoked to be back. Um, glad to glad to be here with you guys, you know, for another however long, <laughs> 20 years. Who knows? We're going on eight years. It's it's crazy to think about. And we are just I mean, the episodes are just climbing and climbing and climbing. And uh, I think we've established quite a back catalog um, of good stuff. I'm really proud of it, and and uh, thank you guys for sticking with me for so long. Um, like I said, I'm still healing up from this tooth extraction, so my my voice, I'm sure my voice is normal, but the sound is a little weird. Still getting used to uh, this hole in my head. So, um, been less than 24 hours. Anyway, more information than you need, but I like to explain it, especially since this is audio podcast. Some things you can notice a little bit better. So, anyways, I'm gonna get out of here. I got a lot of stuff to do gotta rest up and get this thing fixed and uh thanks again to yosef thanks to Kern at the chain for hooking us together and uh as always guys we'll see you on the radio Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.